0: Well, good morning. As you've uh, probably sorted by now, my name is Steve, and I am one of the pastors here. and It is a privilege to uh, stand before you as God's servant this morning to preach God's word and to uh, to bring a message. Um, I was thinking of some things in life this week, and I couldn't help but think. Uh, there's the old saying, you know, in a, you're either in the middle of a crisis, you're about to go into a crisis, or you're just coming out of a crisis. But it seems that life itself is somewhat defined by the challenges that we face. Sometimes, in fact, life can be so overwhelming, disappointing, and challenging that the urge to simply throw in the towel and give up can become incredibly powerful. Now, such was probably the case in 1982 when a 30-year-old man set sail from Penzance in Cornwall as part of a solo race to Antigua. Steve Callahan had designed and built his boat, Napoleon Solo, not Napoleon Dynamite for any of those in the room, Um, and during a storm seven days out of the Canary Islands, it was struck badly by what he later guessed was a whale, and the boat was struck so badly that it started to take on water, but it was so well designed, it did not sink immediately, But eventually, it did slip beneath the surging surface of the Atlantic. But before that happened, he had the sense he was able to deploy a life raft, and he gathered some very basic equipment, which was very good, because that raft was to be his home for longer than he probably had hoped for or expected. And as you might guess, this was not an easy journey. During that time, the saltwater still that was uh, meant to produce sweet drinking water malfunctioned and it put him in danger of, of perishing by dehydration. Uh, and eventually, his emergency food stores ran out and his physical condition started to deteriorate, which made it all the more difficult when his raft began to leak air. Can you imagine that? His raft began to leak air because it was punctured, he was weak, he was weary, but he had to keep physically exerting himself every so often to operate that pump to keep the raft inflated and afloat. To make things worse, he was not in the proximity of any shipping lanes, and he was well aware that his only hope was to keep going, simply to endure, and he did for 76 days. After abandoning ship for 76 days, he was picked up by fishermen off Guadalupe. He had drifted 1,800 miles. And in response to the mental stress and physical suffering, this was an ordeal that could easily result in him saying, which I'm sure he did at several points, what did I do to deserve this? <laughs> I give up. You know, I throw in the towel. I've had enough. But he was able to discover a mindset and a perspective that enabled him to set priorities day to day that kept him alive and kept him going until ultimately this overwhelming reality that he found himself immersed in, that he lived for 76 days, gave way to a new day and a future. Now this true story of endurance, the ability to keep going on and not give up, points to a fundamental challenge of life in general, but I would say of the Christian life in particular. That question of how do we keep going, particularly when following Jesus makes life complicated, when following Jesus makes life costly, when being a Christian makes things at times confusing. An honest assessment of history and present experience that we live demonstrates that if you identify as a follower of Jesus and keep trying to seek to live faithfully for him, that can come with a cost. And you and I would not be alone at times if we wondered, and if we pulled the room, perhaps we would find in moments of honesty that we've asked ourselves the question, is it worth it? And it's in these times when we can be tempted to drift away. Notice the nautical theme here. That's that's the valve, right? The, the, The tendency to drift away or to turn to some other alternative. Like those, the book of Hebrews was written to. Now for 10 chapters in Hebrews, discouraged and weary Christians have been powerfully pointed to why they should keep going in the Christian life and why they should not give up. And this reason can be summed up in one word, or more accurately, one name, the name of Jesus. See, in so many ways, they have been reminded of the superiority of Jesus to anything and anyone they could possibly be considering as a better option and easier path. Considering what they have been told, what could possibly compete with Jesus? As they contemplate abandoning their confidence in him under the stress and strain of life. Remember what they've been taught. Jesus is God himself. That he's the the ultimate and final revelation. That he's higher than the angels who serve him and his people. Jesus is superior to the Old Testament lawgiver, Moses. He's the great high priest, far better than any human representative and their ministry. And when he went to the cross, he offered a better sacrifice in the the blood of goats and bulls offered by the priest. By his sacrifice, he entered heaven itself, not just a copy like the earthly tabernacle and his temple. This is what he's been telling them, the writer of Hebrews, that his sacrifice actually cleanses people from their sin, done, finished, (laughs) once for all, as opposed to sacrifices that had to be offered repeatedly because they could only offer a temporary cover for sin, not remove it. And when he entered heaven, as our representative, he dropped anchor. (laughs) He secured forgiveness. He established a lifeline of hope for all who trust in him. So what could be better? Nothing. (laughs) That's the point. No one. And so the writer of Hebrews is building to this in chapter 11 where he says, so don't shrink back. Don't allow yourself to drift away. Don't give up. Don't give in. Last week, this was one of the passages we looked at that I just want us to glance back to in preparation for Hebrews 11. We're in chapter 10, verse 19. It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus... is faithful. See, having, their, having opened their eyes to a different and better reality in Jesus, centered in Jesus, the writer of Hebrews urges them to continue on living in God's presence along with his people. And as chapter 10 closes, he introduces what John introduces as our topic for this morning, what is so absolutely essential for them to keep going to the end and to receive what has been promised. Look at the end of chapter 10 in verse 36. He says, You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And, but my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. What is it that is essential? to persevering, to keep going when we feel like giving up. It is faith. God says, my righteous one will live by faith. In that one, he says, I will take pleasure, and they will receive what I have promised, which leads us to Hebrews 11, where that word faith is used 27 times if my count is accurate. And repeating that word again and again emphasizes how essential in the lives of those who trusted God and had confidence in Him and what He promised is this idea of faith. So our main idea this morning is simply this. If you're taking notes, this is our big idea. The only way to continue on the path that pleases God and receives His blessing is to live by faith. The only way to please him, the only way to continue on that path that pleases him and receives his blessing is to live by faith. And as we consider this main idea and go through these, pa- these verses we looked at in Hebrews, uh, we'll work through two points about how faith is essential to keep us going, how it operates. That faith opens our eyes to see a different and better reality, and faith fuels our persistent pursuit of higher priorities. Faith opens our eyes to a different and better reality and faith fuels higher priorities. Let's turn our attention just to how faith opens our eyes to a different and better reality. Turning back to Hebrews 11 and at verses 1 and 2 at the beginning, it says this. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Throughout chapter 11, uh, those who lived by faith viewed the circumstances of life from a different point of view. They They weren't blind and they weren't naive when it came to the demands of this life with its pressures and its problems. But their eyes were fixed in expectation on God's promise with a confidence that this promise would be realized. They considered it a done deal. And what was invisible to to physical eyes, to the eyes of faith, was clear and compelling for them. And so beginning at verse 3, there's this chronological listing of examples of faith that starts beginning with creation, working through the history of the Old Testament, and ultimately, as John alluded to, leading to Jesus himself at the beginning of chapter 12, which we'll look at next week. And the list opens, if you remembered, as it was read earlier, with Abel and Enoch, who both are commended by God because of their faith. But before the list continues, before continuing through, the writer pauses to make a particular point very clear. Look at verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Throughout the pages of the Bible, those who lived by faith received God's approval and commendation, that they were commended for their faith. And put it another way, he says it's impossible to please God without faith. And the reward mentioned here in verse 6, where he says he rewards those who earnestly seek him, as well as the hope mentioned in verse 1 of the confidence of what we hope for, they're linked. And they refer to that promise of God. And at this point, it's worth considering an earlier passage in Hebrews where this came up before. We read this earlier a few weeks ago. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 15. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised so those we read about in hebrews 11 all lived by faith in god trusting that he would deliver on what he had promised they saw that promise as real and steadfast even if problems and circumstances and questions pressed in They trusted that the one who made the promise was faithful to complete it. And along with the first readers of Hebrews, we are meant to imitate their faith that we might continue on the path that pleases God and receive his blessing, the promise of heaven. And what we see first is that faith opens our eyes to this different and better reality, the reality of heaven. And while this passage in Hebrews 11 is filled with examples of faith operating in that way, for the sake of time, I want us to focus on two in particular major ones, Abraham and Moses. Abraham and Moses. In verse 8, we read of Abraham that uh, these two examples are helpful in showing us how this operates. And Abraham's eyes of faith were looking forward in hope and expectation. Look at verse 8. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. When he was called by God, Abraham obeyed, not knowing where he was going to end up. And when he finally arrived, he lived in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country, a land, remember, that God had promised him as a possession, as an inheritance. So, Have you ever wondered, was he frustrated, confused, disappointed, disheartened? One could understand if he did experience emotions like that. We all have. Abraham and his wife Sarah did not fully receive what was promised before he died. Neither did their son Isaac, nor did Isaac's sons Jacob. And how did they view all of this? What did their eyes see? Look at verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them. for them, Abraham had not received all that was promised regarding the promised land, but he had been given eyes of faith. He saw a different and better reality, a heavenly one, a country where he truly belonged. And the experiences that he had of life here didn't diminish or snuff out this hope in the promise of God. It only increased it. He longed for it. And this week I had to ask myself the question, I'll ask it to you what do we long for? We frequently long for earth side stuff, don't we? Um, you know, the stuff we invest our lives, our time, our treasure in what pays dividends here, whether it's the next achievement, the next rush, you know, uh, the next holiday. And like me, too, maybe you would confess that at times what we have longed for in life has not necessarily been worthy of commendation, let alone God's. But those who longed for and lived in light of God's promise, listen to this, they receive the most extraordinary and highest praise. God is not ashamed to be called their God. Now, how do you think those words would have fallen on the ears of those who first heard this letter? Imagine those who were tempted to drift away, perhaps looking to the public pressure and social shame of being a Christian, being reminded of whose opinion it is that ultimately carries any significance. You see, like the first readers of Hebrews 11, we need our eyes opened to this different and better reality too. To long for it, that God might also say of us the same common commendation. Wouldn't it be amazing to look in the mirror and from heaven hear, hear the voice, I am not ashamed to be called your God. How? Well, remember, the only way to continue on the path that pleases God and receives his blessing, that received that commendation, is to live by faith. And faith operates by opening our eyes to this different and better reality. Abraham, we see that. We see it in Moses as well. Verse 24, by faith. Moses, when he had grown up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God. Rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt not fearing the king's anger. He persevered. He kept going because he saw him who is invisible. Moses kept going because he saw him who is invisible. And kept looking ahead to his promised reward. Moses had all that many people longed for in this world, didn't he? He had position as a prince of Egypt. And with that, all the power, prestige, and possessions that go with it, not to mention the comfort and security. He had all those things that we think insulate us to some degree when life turns up the heat. But Moses' eyes had been opened to this different and better reality that changed how he viewed Everything. By faith, he was able to regard all the treasures of Egypt as something of lesser value for the sake and the disgrace of Christ. Again, imagine those words being heard by those who were tempted to turn away. Back to Egypt, so to speak. Because of the disgrace associated with the name of Jesus. Like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Moses saw him who is invisible and kept looking ahead to what was promised. And like them, our eyes need to be open to that different reality as well, that different and better reality. Faith is what opens our eyes to that. It shapes and informs how we view life. And it gives us the perspective we need to live a life that pleases God and receives his blessing. Now that's simple to say. But it's not easy, is it? John mentioned earlier that all these people were regular people and we read about them in this passage, the hall of faith as some people have called it and it seems like they just had this positive slope towards faith, you know, to the end. But if you read the Old Testament, you realize they had flaws. If anything, their perspective was they were staggering forward, two steps forward, one step back. But they kept going. Which is why in Hebrews 10, the writer says, don't forsake gathering together. We're ordinary people. (laughs) We live in dependence upon God, in fellowship with one another, and we encourage one another to go on as the day approaches. What day? The day he's promised, where we stand before him, and it will come. That's the better, the different and better reality. And so if our hearts are longing for something else, we should... Unite our hearts in prayer that we would long for this reality. So the only way to continue on that path that pleases him is to live by faith. How else does faith contribute to this? Not just opening our eyes. It fuels our pursuit of higher priorities. See, when faith changes your perspective, it will also change your priorities. Those who see a different and better reality will be challenged to make different and better choices. Remember Abel. It was said of him that he made a better sacrifice. Enoch evidently lived a better life, so much so that God spared him from experiencing death. Noah chose the better task of building the ark. And we saw this already in the lives of Abraham and Moses, didn't we? Abraham obeyed God's command to go while having very few details about where he was going to end up. But to a greater extent, his confidence in God and his promise were such that it fueled his obedience when he was tested to unimaginable limits. And you've probably heard this as we read it earlier. By faith, in verse 17, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. So if you notice something about faith that's starting to emerge, and that is the decisions you make in faith will not necessarily make sense to other people. (laughs) They may look foolish. They may even look reckless when you lack the perspective that faith brings. Noah's building of a massive seagoing vessel resulted in him being scorned and ridiculed. Abraham was going to sacrifice his son. Why? Because faith made him reason. God would raise Isaac up in order to fulfill his promise. See, faith can lead to courses of action that seem highly risky, reckless, or even irrational without the perspective that faith brings. But the true risk is not In faith, the true risk lies not in acting on faith. It is those who choose to have their uh, priorities fueled like this by that perspective that are given the privilege of seeing God's power at work through them and around them. See, by, Mo- by faith, Moses chose mistreatment, right? Along with God's people and was ultimately God's human agent in their deliverance from slavery under Pharaoh. By faith, the Red Sea was parted and by faith, the walls of Jericho fell. The list of Hebrews 11 continues on. Verse 32, and what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms and ministered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. So Again, let's pause to consider how these words would have impacted those who first read them. How would it impact them as people tempted to throw in the towel due to overt pressure and persecution to hear how faith fueled choices that led to justice being done, escapes from peril, weakness turned to strength, and even death itself turned backwards for UCS Lewis fans. The, this almost sounds like a movie trailer, doesn't it? I mean, you could we were watching Indiana Jones this week as a family movie and you can almost hear the, the theme song going on because it's like blessing after blessing. They, they, their weakness was turned to strength and it just seems like everything's going great. It almost sounds too good to be true. But these things really happened in the lives of those who lived by faith. And remember, these examples are meant for us who live now to take on board and imitate They are meant to be an encouragement to keep going in light of anything that we're facing. But is the life of faith always one of triumph and victory? Is it always blessing after blessing? What about the times when decisions made in faith have a different outcome? See, in contrast to the women who received back their dead in verse 35, the second part of it, says, there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. The world was not worthy of them because the perspective of faith fueled their priorities to live and endure hardship and even give up their lives. Now that word translated torture here refers to a very specific brutal process of being stretched out and beaten to death. Which raises the question about what it means that they refuse to be released from this that they might gain a better resurrection. Could it mean that they're going to get extra credit and commendation? They get extra commendation. Is that, is that what it means? Well, better answer is probably uh, lying in the reference to the women who received back their dead, that we just read, raised to life again. The women this is referring to uh, were a widow in a place called Zarephath and a wealthy woman in a place called Shunem. The son of the first was raised back to life through a prophet named Elijah, and the son of the second by Elijah's apprentice, the prophet Elisha. Both of these boys were resurrected to life, but were destined to experience death again. By, far, uh, by comparison, the better resurrection is to be raised to a life that will never be taken away, that will go on. And again, the decision made in faith may look foolish or even reckless to those who lack the perspective that faith brings. Why would they choose not to be released? Because they had their eyes fixed on something better and had different priorities. See, if you're captivated by a different and better reality, if your hope and reward lie in your heavenly home, these kinds of decisions make perfect sense. On January 8th, 1956, five young American men most likely began their day with a sense of anticipation that a breakthrough was imminent with the people group they were seeking to reach with the gospel. The initial contacts with this tribe in the jungles of eastern Ecuador had been encouraging. They had exchanged gifts and different things, and it appeared that what they had prayed for and worked towards was coming to fruition. Six years earlier, one of these five men had first heard about the Akka, a notoriously violent tribe, and he sensed that God was calling him to take the gospel to them. Years of preparation culminated that morning on a sandbar they had dubbed Palm Beach in the middle of a river in the Amazon where the, four men, the five men had landed their small plane. They had these social interactions, and it seemed positive. There was just a handful of them, but they expected more to come but one of those first people that they had made contact with had lied because there was this social pressure that had developed within the tribe and he said that these five American men had attacked him which prompted others from the tribe to descend violently upon these five Americans and all five lost their lives that morning their names were Nate Saint, Ed McCulley, Peter Fleming, Roger Udarian and Jim Elliot, for whom the Elliot Room in the King Center is named. These five men were in the prime of their lives and together represented so much potential. Jim was a brilliant student and gifted speaker. He was also an accomplished athlete who became a champion in wrestling. I believe it was Ed McCulley, everyone expected to become a lawyer. He was a great orator. So as the news of their death swept the world, the headlines conveyed this sense of tragedy, an unnecessary loss. But on October 28, 1949, Jim had written something powerful in his journal. One of the greatest blessings of heaven, he wrote, is the appreciation of heaven while on earth. He is no fool who gives up what he, cannot gain, what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And then he cited part of Luke 16.9 in reference to wealth as that which cannot be kept. It says, then, then that when it shall fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. Now we may be tempted to consider the experience of the martyrs and those marginalized because of their faith as a tragic and as a waste. But without denying the tragedy and injustice, God's verdict on this cannot be ignored. The world was not worthy of them. They made the better choice under the circumstances they faced. And in the case of Jim Elliot and his friends, their sacrifice resulted in the Akka being reached with the gospel. I don't want to make the false claim, as sometimes is, that if you follow Jesus everything's going to fall into place. (laughs) That life somehow becomes uncomplicated and less costly. If you're considering following Jesus, there are times it makes it far more complicated. But in his book about the epistle to the Hebrews, F.F. Bruce writes this, faith in God carries with it no guarantee of comfort in this world. But it does carry with it great reward in the only world that ultimately matters. See, what these people saw through eyes of faith fueled their pursuit of higher priorities. And what was the result? These were all commended for their faith, yet not one of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Their faith produced lives that received uh, God's uh, blessing and his approval. All these people, all these examples of lives lived by faith resulted in that stamp of approval on them. And Hebrews, all throughout, has kept pointing us to something better. To Jesus. See, through all the times they faced desperation and doubt, these people who lived by faith, the day that they all longed for and looked forward to, of God's promise to bless the world through Abraham, centuries earlier, dawned with the coming of Jesus. He is better, and everything he brings is better. And this hope is why we as a church always ask in faith, what's next? What's the next step for us? Because we know what's last. And if we know what's last, that God's promise is true, and those who have faith in him will be there, forgiven and set free, then we have to ask constantly, what's the priority? What's the next step? for our personal lives and together. See, faith is not just how we continue, but it's also how we start. He gives forgiveness and eternal life. That is his promise to the one who trusts him. And God's better plan, as we just read, is that all those who fix their eyes on the ultimate fulfillment of that hope that we have in Jesus will be made perfect together When all God's faithful are raised to life when he comes again. Remember these words. In just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. When that moment comes, standing face to face to Jesus, there will be no doubt that it was worth it all. Oh, to hear from the same lips that cried in victory, it is finished. These words of commendation as he looks at you and in my imagination think, cracks you a smile and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share your master's happiness. Let's pray. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and rewards those who earnestly seek him. Father, we know that the only way to start in a relationship with you is by faith in what Jesus has done on the cross. And the only way to continue on that path that pleases you and receives your blessing is to continue to live by faith. Lord, please give us eyes to see Eyes of faith that see a different and better reality as we wait for the appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. May that hope shape our priorities for the day-to-day choices we make, that set our course over a lifetime of making them, keep us from drifting or turning away to lesser hopes that always overpromise and underdeliver, Idols of our heart that call us to seek this world first over the priority of your kingdom, when we feel weak. Help us to imitate those in this great chapter of Hebrews who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that through you we can have a living hope that will not disappoint. Please give us hearts that truly long for heaven and the day when we will stand in your presence where there will be no more tears, no more sorrow, doubt, desperation, and pain. As we've gathered in this time, in this place, we get a sample in foretaste of that day when we will stand before you together with all those who have lived by faith. And until that day, may we keep going by faith, steadfast to the end, because you are worthy and your promise is true. Amen. Amen.